the challenges of Thanksgiving. Yes, that time of year. I was sharing with the first congregation, you even notice as I'm watching it again, just kind of the other dynamic in watching that video is you're really not really focusing on what the lady talking is saying. You kind of just become more focused on what is being said on the cards. And again, often that is the big challenge with Thanksgiving. We were talking about that even downstairs. Again, just how easy it is to become so distracted by the challenges, by the things that go wrong, maybe the negative aspects, you know, we've having to get up so early and just all of the preparation that goes into that, that you can really begin to lose sight of really what the day uh, is all about. And so again, it's just a great reminder for us to just slow down, really enjoy uh, the season of Thanksgiving, because we all know what happens. It's like, you know, one day is Thanksgiving, and then it just kind of feels like the very next day is Christmas. It just seems like it comes so fast, and every year it just seems like it comes faster and faster, and we're busier and busier, and we just forget how to really slow down and really enjoy the holidays. So I hope uh, the challenges of, of um, Thanksgiving for you are not so great that you're not really able to really enjoy uh, the, the day, the opportunity to be with family, and just an opportunity to give thanks. And just as there are you know, challenges uh, in Thanksgiving and the holiday, there really are also challenges uh, in being a leader. And I know um, we've kind of talked throughout this series you know, that, again, sometimes we, we don't see ourselves as leaders. We don't aspire uh, to be a leader. And so we've tried to kind of come at this from several different approaches. You know, we talk about kind of leadership. And if you don't like that word, maybe you're kind of a servant. Um, Because I think the challenges are there in being a servant. If you're someone who has influence. And that can simply be those of you that own your own companies. I mean, you're, you're kind of the boss of your company. You, in many ways, need to be a servant, or you've had to be a servant. You've had to be uh, someone who leads a company, leads employees. Um, you exert influence. Um, those of you that are school teachers, I mean, parents, we have influence over our families. We influence them. And so again, there are always challenges to this aspect, whether you like the word leader or servant or someone who you know just exudes influence over the lives of other people. There are challenges when it comes to that. And so this morning, I want to kind of just bring this series to an end, and I want to just talk about what are the challenges uh, in in being a leader? What are the challenges that we uh, can expect to face if we're going to be a servant, if we're going to be an influencer, someone that's wanting to influence and impact the kingdom of God um, in in, uh, great ways? And there's really no greater instance or example of this than in the ministry of Jesus. And what is interesting to me is is you begin to see challenges of Jesus's leadership, his servanthood, his influence right at the very beginning of his ministry. I just kind of think through the events that really take place into the beginning of Jesus's ministry there in Matthew chapter three through four. 
Remember, Jesus comes to the Jordan River. He's about to be baptized by his cousin John. As Jesus goes under the water and then comes back out, the scripture says that the Spirit of God descended and kind of rested upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Now that dove, again, represented the Holy Spirit, and it was an acknowledgement, a confirmation that God's power rested and resided upon Jesus. And then you'll remember that after that, there comes a voice from heaven. It is, it is God's voice, and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, what an affirmation. And yet following this very, very spectacular event, the baptism, the descending of the Holy Spirit, you remember Jesus is immediately led into the wilderness for a period of 40 days um, and, and it was to be a, a time of temptation, of testing uh, by the devil. And again, what's significant about that to me is, again, it's just one of these patterns that we often see emerge in our spiritual journeys is we will have these mountaintop experiences, these high points with God in our lives, and sometimes they'll be immediately followed by kind of a valley or a challenge that we're going to face uh, as God is using that as an opportunity uh, to test us, to, uh, to challenge us, to grow us, to kind of expand us in our spiritual walk. And again, that is a part, it is a normal part of our spiritual journey. I mean, Jesus had that as a part of his normal spiritual journey with God, and we're going to have that as well. There are just going to be times where we're going to have great victories, great triumphs in our spiritual journey, and then there may just eventually come right away kind of this time of testing or temptation by the devil. I mean, you can be in this service today and, and just encounter God in very powerful and strong and mighty ways, and I'm sure many of you do. And oftentimes, we just get outside the building, and we're not even out of the parking lot, and something happens where we're kind of feeling tested, or we're feeling challenged, or we're feeling stretched um, uh, in a way. And so, again, temptation um, sometimes can come just that quick. And after a time of success, there can come that time, again, of just testing, of being challenged, of being stretched um, by the devil. And the reason I believe this is so important and why I think it's worth mentioning is because following this period of temptation, he has the baptism, 40 days of temptation. It was from that 40 days in the wilderness, he emerges victorious out of that, and then he begins to lead from that. The first thing that Jesus does after the temptation is he begins his ministry, he begins serving, he begins leading, and he begins exuding this great influence over the lives of other people. And again, the same thing uh, can happen in our walk as well. God may be saying to you, I want you to be a leader. I want you to be a servant. I want you to be somebody who exerts influence over other people. I want to use you to make a difference in this world. And again, as you and I respond to that call, we just need to be aware there are going to be very, very high moments in, in our walk with God, and there are just going to kind of be those valleys uh, as well as where God is, is challenging, he's growing us, he's, he's stretching um, our faith. 
And again, he's just going to kind of use that to kind of begin to develop your leadership, to deepen this sense of being a servant, um, and again, just giving you greater and greater influence over and in the lives of other people. So with that in mind, I want to kind of just talk about three basic challenges when you are a leader, a servant, or just someone who, who God is using to uh, bring great influence in the lives of other people. And the reason these are important is because you're going to find these as well in the life and ministry um, of Jesus. The first challenge that leaders, servants, uh, influencers are going to face is what is called the pain and pleasure test. Now, if you're going to be a leader, if you aspire to be a servant, if you really uh, see yourself as someone having great influence in the lives of other people, you're going to have that pain and that pleasure tested. Why? Because it really kind of reveals your maturity. Let me give you a definition of maturity. Maturity is the ability to be able to endure pain and to delay pleasure. Emotional or spiritual maturity is, again, this ability to be able to endure pain and to delay pleasure. Another way to say this is you get to do the hard stuff first before you get to do the easy stuff. See, immature or or spiritually shallow people, they love and they want to do all of the easy stuff. And the minute it gets hard or challenging or tough, they kind of just abandon their faith walk. Again, these are the kind of people, they have no patience, maybe they're impulsive, they don't know how to wait, uh, and again, they just don't know how to delay gratification. They're the type of people that, that just want everything and they want it now. They don't want to have to work for it. Again, we live in a very immature, we live in a very shallow culture today. We live in a culture that really kind of reinforces this whole idea of you don't need to delay gratification. Again, we live in a culture where we want it all and we want it now. We don't know how to delay gratification. And we see this kind of expressed in our culture in a variety of ways. I mean, why should I have to wait until I'm married to have sex? Why should I not buy this thing that I want and I want it now, even though I don't have the money for it, I can just put it on credit? Why should I have to wait until I have the money? Why should I deny myself any pleasure when I can have it now? Again, that is a sign of immaturity. Maturity, again, is having the character, it's having the wherewithal to endure pain and to delay gratification. And again, you will never be much of a leader, of a servant. You're never going to have the the degree of influence that you would like to have or that God would want you to have um, until you learn how to endure pain and to delay pleasure, to be, again, to do the tough stuff to do the hard stuff before you get to do the easy stuff. So looking at this temptation, Matthew chapter four, verses two through four, it says, for 40 days Jesus ate nothing and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, change these stones to loaves of bread. But Jesus said, the scripture is written, people need more than bread for their lives, they must feed on every word of God. Now again, what's going on in this temptation? Well, we see that Jesus 
is uh, tired, he's hungry, hasn't eaten for 40 days, he's been on this fast, the devil sees this, he seizes upon the opportunity, and he comes and he says, look, you're God. I mean, see these stones on the desert floor? I know, you know, you could do a miracle and just turn them into loaves of bread. So why don't you just do that? You can eat them, and then you know what? You won't be hungry anymore. Now, again, what's wrong with that? I mean, what's so bad about the idea? Was it wrong for Jesus to be hungry? No. Was it wrong for Jesus to want to eat? No. Did he have the ability, the power to change those stones into bread? Yes. So what is the big deal? Again, Jesus is being tempted by the enemy to use his powers, his abilities to please himself for selfish reasons. God didn't give Jesus miracle-working power just so he could be self-serving, self-focused, and make his life as comfortable as possible. God didn't give Jesus miracle-working powers just to make his life comfortable and to do all of these self-serving miracles. Again, the same is true of you and I. God has given each one of you in this room this morning. Again, it doesn't matter your age, your station in life. You could be a brand new Christian, a week old Christian. You could be a Christian for 40 years. God has given every person a measure of gifts, of talents, of unique abilities. I know last a couple of weeks, last couple of Sundays, some of you went through a class with pastors Mark and Jim on spiritual gifts, and you were able to kind of look at and study, and, and hopefully you were able to kind of identify what are the particular unique gifts that God has given you, and then how do we use those? And the amazing thing about these gifts, these talents, these unique abilities that all of us have is the purpose that God gave them to you is not for you to use them to serve yourself. The the gifts, the abilities, the spiritual gifts, talents that God has invested in you were really designed not to serve you, but for you to serve others. The God-given talents, abilities, spiritual gifts that other people have, the people around you this morning, the people in this congregation, they're not for their benefit God has equipped them with those in order to serve you. And God has kind of wired the universe. He he did this specifically uh, so that we would need each other, that that we would be relying on one another and not become isolated and selfish and self serving. My talents, my gifts, my abilities, they're not for me to have an ego trip or to use them to serve myself. And your talents, your ability, your spiritual gifts are not for you, they are to serve others first and foremost. 1 Peter 4.10 affirms this, says each of you. Now who's he talking to here? You and me, every one of us, each of you have been blessed with some of God's many wonderful gifts. And again, that's the talents, the spiritual gifts. He says to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. That's that first challenge. 
Second challenge, the second test that every leader, every servant, every person who desires to influence others uh, for God goes through, um, it's called the popularity and praise test. Whereas the pain and pleasure test, it kind of reveals, it shows you the level, the depth of your maturity, the popularity and praise test reveals your integrity. And what is integrity? Integrity is where your belief matches your behavior. What you say is actually what you do. You don't say one thing and then do the complete opposite. When you have integrity, you are the same way in public as you are in private and everyone else. You don't act one way you know, here on Sunday, a different way at home, a different way at work. No, no, it's all integrated together. You are consistent. What you are, you are everywhere all the time. And again, if you're going to be a great leader, if you want to be a true servant, if you're someone who wants to, again, have influence over other people in in godly ways, we've got to be consistent. And again, to have credibility, again, it is important uh, to have integrity. So as we look at that second challenge arising there in that popularity and praise test, it says the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and he set him on the highest point of the temple. Uh, I mean, it could be the tallest building in that particular area. You know, New York City, it would be, you know, the Empire State Building. And he says to Jesus, he says, if you are God's son, throw yourself down, for the scripture says God will give orders to his angels and they will bear you up or they'll hold you up with their hands so not even your feet will be hurt. And so Jesus responds to that temptation by simply saying, don't test the Lord your God. Now, again, in leadership, you've got to be aware of the challenge. Again, that temptation uh, of trying to draw attention away from God and trying to get the focus on yourself. This is kind of what the, the devil was tempting Jesus to do. And again, as Christians, as leaders, as influencers, as servants, we've got to be aware of the temptation about making it all about us. What we want, our needs, our agenda, our programs. Um, oftentimes, I you know, will mention um, to Jason, we'll kind of talk about it in passing sometimes. Again, he does a great job, and I think the worship team does a great job that when they're up here on the platform, they're not doing things that would draw attention to themselves because that could become very, very distracting, and that's not what worship is about. Worship isn't about people looking up here and going, wow, they're such a great singer. Wow, they're such a great musician. Their purpose in being up here is to really kind of draw people and to bring people people into the presence of God. And again, there are things that you can do up here on the platform that can be very distracting. I mean, you can do things up here that's going to draw attention to yourself. And so we have to be very, very careful when we're on the platform that we're not doing or creating things that become a distraction, that kind of get the focus off of where it should be on God and trying to get the focus onto ourselves. I mean, I I love to preach, but I'll be honest with you, it would be great sometimes if I didn't have to be on a platform all the time. 
There are times where I just would love to be in kind of just a room, maybe kind of a camera. Uh, I could be maybe just sitting in a lazy boy or something and giving the sermon from that. It's always, I've never really like being on the platform, just having hundreds of eyes kind of staring at me uh, all the time. There, you know, it, it just always kind of makes me, uh, you know, uncomfortable in that I don't want to be a distraction. Um, and so oftentimes I remember, you know, just I can become very, very self-conscious. I remember when I first started preaching, I'm a spitter. So that's why the, really the first two rows are, are pretty empty, and you'll find out that that's, you know, you kind of picked the wrong spot. And so it was, I was always very, very conscious about that. Um, you know, we kind of joked, I, because Jim sat up here first service, and when I said that, you know, he kind of put his uh, thing up there. We used to hand umbrellas out, you know, in the very, very beginning. And, and so I would just be preaching, and all of a sudden I would just see all this spit flying out. I was just like, I hated that, because again, it just was like, ugh. I'm sure people probably look at that and just think that is disgusting, and so they're not even listening to what I'm saying. They're watching the spittle, where it's going. And so, again, there just are things that happen where you don't want to be a distraction um, on the platform. So again, that's part of this temptation is just, you know, there are things that we can do to make it um, about us, um, and that's not what this is about. And so the devil kind of comes to Jesus, and he kind of says, I know you're God, you know you're God, so how about this? I'm just going to take you up to the tallest building in the city, and you kind of jump off, and on your way down, the angels will kind of catch you, and they will kind of keep you from getting hurt, and, and, and everybody is going going to see this, and they're just going to be so impressed. They're going to be wowed. It will just be a spectacular show. Matter of fact, I read, I think it was yesterday, there was a guy who was cleaning windows on a skyscraper and like fell off like 11 floors, landed on a moving car and survived. I mean, that is spectacular. I wouldn't want to be that guy, but I'm sure if you saw that, you're probably like, wow, to fall that far on a moving car and basically get up and walk away from that. Man, that is something. That's kind of the temptation here. I mean, Jesus, if, if you go from the highest point possible and people see that, that, that God kind of intervened and kept you from getting hurt, oh, Jesus, they're going to follow you. They're going to worship you. I mean, this will just be great. This will do great wonders for your ministry, Jesus. That's the temptation there. Now, again, what is wrong with that? Was it wrong for Jesus to receive glory? No, he's God. Was it wrong for him to get the praise, the adoration, the praise of men? No. In fact, it says there's coming a time when the whole universe is going to worship Jesus. We're going to fall down. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father is what Philippians 2.11 says. But this in this moment with the devil, this was the wrong time. This was the wrong place. This was the wrong way. God the Father had a way where Jesus would be glorified, and it was by dying on a cross, not from jumping off of a building. Because, see, one of those events is to show off, whereas dying on a cross is to sacrifice See, one of them is spectacular, while the other is sacrificial. 
Jesus didn't come to earth to show off, to do little miracles or to walk on Herod's pool or whatever. No, it says Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice, to give his life as a ransom for many. And again, here's the heart of this challenge. Will I use my abilities? Will I use my God-given talents? Will I use the spiritual gifts that God has blessed me with? Will I use those to serve God and others, or will I use those to gain prominence and approval for myself? So what's the antidote to the popularity, to the praise test? How do you keep it from going to your head? How do you keep from falling into that trap? Galatians 5, 25 through 26 says, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every area of our lives. Then we won't need to look for honors and popularity. So what is the first thing we need to do there? Listen to God. That's the first antidote. We need to listen for the voice of God instead of listening to the voice of other people. Again, oftentimes we want to listen for what is popular opinion. And again, popular opinion is quite often wrong. Some say, well, everybody's doing it. So what? Everybody's taking this. Big deal. Everybody's doing this. Everybody's going there. Everyone's buying this. So what? The Bible says we need to be listening for the voice of God. We need to be following the Holy Spirit's leading in every part. That's integrity. Every part of our lives. And and he says, Scripture says, when we're doing that, we won't have this need or that temptation to gain honor or popularity. So listen to God. The other thing you do to beat this challenge is practice humility. Listen to what 1 Peter 5, 6 says. If you will humble yourself. Now let those words sink in. If you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God in his good time, he will lift you up. Some translations say he will exalt you at the proper time. God says you want a position of influence, you want to be a great servant, you want to be an awesome leader impacting this kingdom for the kingdom of God, humble yourself before me in the right way. Now again, I want to emphasize this. Humble yourself. Okay, that's something you have to choose to do. I'll tell you a prayer that's absolutely worthless to pray, and that is the prayer, God, humble me. That is a worthless prayer. God is not going to humble you. The scriptures say over and over in regards to humility, you have to humble yourself. God is not going to do that. You have got to choose to do that. So let's look at the third challenge quickly. This is called the possessions and the popularity test. Then the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, all of their splendor, and he said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. And Jesus said, go away from me, Satan. It is written, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now really, what's going on with this temptation? Well, the devil kind of comes and he says to Jesus, you know what, if you'll just do this one tiny little thing. I mean, nobody's looking. No one will even know. It'll just be between you and I. If you'll just do this one little small thing, I will give you all the splendor, all the wealth of the world. Now, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't even 
challenge um, his offer. I mean, he doesn't say, oh, come on, you don't even own the wealth of the world. Jesus just says, no, don't tempt God. Only worship him. Now, what is this? This is a challenge, and again, it's going to happen to you and I. And that is the challenge that the enemy is going to do whatever he can to get you to compromise your mission and your purpose. Jesus wasn't on the earth to accumulate a lot of wealth. Jesus came for the sole purpose, the sole mission of saving the world. Likewise, you were put on this planet not to acquire a bunch of things, but to make a difference, to have an impact upon this world for righteousness, for godliness. Again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You were not here to witness history. You're not here to watch history unfold. You are here to make history. You're here to impact and to influence the world in godly ways. And the challenge is this. Satan says, Jesus, isn't money more important than your mission? I mean, aren't possessions and wealth, I mean, aren't those more important than your purpose? I mean, I'll give you everything. You'll have it made. You'll lack nothing if you'll just do this one small little thing. Again, it is this challenge to sell out to materialism, to money, and to wealth. Again, do we know anybody who's done that? I think we probably all do. You know, do you know people who've maybe sold out their family, left their family to take up with somebody else who maybe makes them feel better? You know anybody that maybe has, has kind of sold their health to basically get more money? Or people who maybe kind of sold out their eternity or their salvation, their relationship with God in order to get more, to acquire more. Again, Jesus was crystal clear about this. And in Matthew 16, 26, here's what he said. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world? This is a temptation. He's saying, the devil's saying to Jesus, you can gain the whole world. And Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his own soul in the process? Is anything, and it's a rhetorical question, is anything more important worth more than your soul. And again, we're not put on this earth. We're tempted in many ways to think that's what it's all about, but you were not put upon this earth to get a bunch of things that you're gonna leave behind anyway when you die. You came in naked, you're going out naked. You're gonna spend far more time in eternity than here. And what the scripture says is we really need to be not storing up our wealth here, but we need to be storing our wealth in heaven. How do you do that? What is the antidote? What's the solution to the possessions, prosperity test? Again, one word, generosity. Generosity is the key, the solution, the handle to the third challenge. Every time you are generous, and I, and I mean in sacrificial ways, sometimes in ways that kind of cause a little pain in giving. Man, I, 
it, it, it's tight right now, but I really feel like God's calling me to do this. And so I'm going to give sacrificially. Every time you give, and especially when you're giving sacrificially, do you realize it loosens the grip of materialism and that, that uh, desire, uh, that, that grip of money? It, it breaks that. It begins to break that over your life. First Timothy 6, 18 through 19 says this, use your money to do good. Again, money is meant, it's designed. Money is not evil. The scripture says it's the love of it that has the potential to be destructive. But he's saying money is a good thing, especially if you're using it to bless others and you're using it to do good things. And again, there's just that temptation, you know, to love money and to use people. And we're not called to do that. We're called to love people and to use money. And he continues there. He says, give generously to those in need. Always be ready to share with others what God has blessed you with. By doing this, you'll be storing up real treasure for yourself in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity. And you will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. So God's saying every time you use money to do good, you're kind of storing that money in heaven's bank. You're storing up treasure in heaven forever and ever and ever. And the wonderful thing about that is it is an investment that's never going away. It's not an investment that's up today and down tomorrow. It's not an investment that you have to worry about, you know, collapse, <laughs> collapsing or that you're going to lose it. It is one of those things when you store it, when you bank it in heaven, it is eternally secure. So let me just kind of give you as we're getting ready to close here again, uh, we're going to just transition into worship and just again a time of communion here. And, And one of the things we've been focusing on in this series is, again, there's just no greater example of leadership, of being a servant, of exuding influence than when Jesus met with his disciples for that final time and he kind of instituted the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper communion. It was really probably the greatest example of what it meant to be a servant in that Jesus was willing to come to give his life, to lay down his life for others. And so this is the challenge for us. If we're going to be great leaders, if we want to be great servants, if we want to have that ability to influence others for righteousness' sake, we are going to have to learn how to give and to lay down our lives for others. And that's why Jesus does this. He does this as an example to his disciples And so this morning as we close out this series, um, I just want to just encourage you this morning as you kind of just look at these three challenges this morning. And maybe you're kind of in the midst of one of those uh, this morning. And again, just being aware that this, is again, it's not a bad thing that, that you're feeling challenged or that you're feeling tempted. This is an opportunity for God to grow you, to stretch you, to make you more and more like Jesus. And so this morning, as we just uh, prepare to uh, end this series and our time here together this morning, I want to just invite you to, to stand. I want to pray for you this morning that, that this example that Jesus has set for us, that wherever we may be, whatever leadership we may be, uh, 
having whatever influence God may be giving you, again, that you would use this as an opportunity to really serve, to lay down your life, to give your life um, for others, that this is not about you, that what God is doing is not about trying to make you wealthy or popular. What he's trying to do is he's really trying to, uh, again, just uh, give uh, blessings into people's lives through your ministry, through your giving, through your sharing, whatever way God is calling you to lead. He wants to use that as a way to draw people to him this morning. So I just want to pray for you, whether you're parents, teachers, if you're employers, uh, whatever capacity God has put you in this morning, that you would seize this opportunity and just ask God to help you develop that um, more and to become just, again, more and more effective. Let's stand together. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for each person in here, God. I believe that you have gifted them. You have equipped them in such a way, God, to make them, again, just an incredible leader, God, whether they're here this morning as bosses or parents or teachers, God, whatever capacity they may be in here this morning, that God, you've gifted, you've equipped them, God, in a way, Lord, that they would just be able to be a blessing, to be able to serve others. God, I thank you for people who have taken that mantle of leadership, of influence, and God, are using their lives to bless to sow into other people's lives this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless them. Father, I pray that you would even increase their influence, God, that you would increase their resources, God, that they could even greater measure just begin to sow and to bless into other people's lives this morning. God, maybe for those of us that have kind of gotten lost in this and and maybe we've kind of succumbed to some of these challenges and and we've allowed our leadership or our influence or our service, God, to become more about us and less about you and others. God, I pray, Lord, that you again would would just refocus us this morning. That, God, you would just bring to our hearts and our minds again this example that Jesus gave to us where he just laid down his life. He gave his all for us. God, would you just again reorient? God, would you just uh, change our focus this morning? God, take it off of us, put it on you, to put it on others, to ask ourselves, how can I serve? How can I be a blessing? And God, I just ask, Lord, that you would just come as we commune with you in worship, as we commune with you in the breaking of the bread and the shedding of the blood, Lord. Just pray that you would use this as an opportunity again just to anchor our hearts in you. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.